Hello and welcome to episode 186 of the Redbox Report, the weekly movie podcast where we review the latest Blu-rays and DVD releases for Redbox. I'm your host, Bob Fallon. And I'm your host, Joel Fallon. And on this episode, we're going to take a look at the Magnificent Seven to determine if it actually is magnificent or if it's just a remake of a remake trash or somewhere in between. I'll be reviewing if there's seven people or not. That's a good question. We have to keep tabs on that. Make sure they're being honest and they're false advertising. False advertisement, clickbait. <laughs> yeah, it's been the thing this year. It seems like with trailers not living up to the <laughs> to the movies, but we'll be the, the uh, judges and juries and executioners on that one. But uh, our top five this week is Ethan Hawke movies because we've already done Denzel Washington, and he's probably the next you know biggest actor of the bunch with at least as far as filmography goes. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll be talking about what else we watched, talk about a few trailers. They just keep pouring them out last few weeks, these these trailers for next year's movies. And we'll talk about about four or five more of those. <laughs> but first, I think we need to talk about this past weekend, Rogue One, a Star Wars story, released and became the second highest December opening weekend of all time and 12th biggest opening weekend of all time with, I think, $155 million opening weekend. I wonder what was second or first. (laughs) Force Awakens. (laughs) What do you know? But this is Edgar's big, big pick here in the box office draft. And, yep, I think it's looking like trouble for us. Yeah. I mean, our only hope was if this thing bombed somehow. And it wasn't going to happen. No. I mean, $155 million is definitely a lot less than Force Awakens made. I feel like that made, like, upwards of $220 million, something like that. Could you imagine if, like, three years from now that Star Wars is all the top five highest grossing movies? I think that's going to be the case. <laughs> At least Unless Dece- they bomb with one of them or something sometime. At least December releases. Anyway. Well, yeah. a- Avatar is up there, so... I mean, they're just going to keep pouring these things out, and why wouldn't they with the money they're making? Yeah, it'll be like anything else. They'll keep pumping them out until the bubble pops. Yeah. I don't know. If, it seems like things get like so popular that they become unpopular eventually. Yeah, Star Wars is a pretty pretty big bubble so kind of like uh we'll see not that call of duty is anywhere near star wars but I mean, that was guaranteed millions and millions of copies and this year people finally had enough well i remember in the late 70s when the first call of duty movie came out and <laughs> they've just been trying to live up to the hype ever since <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i mean it's exciting times if you're a star wars fan such as myself uh We'll be reviewing that in a few weeks, but I did see it over the weekend, and they're two for two, as far as I'm concerned. So far, so good on this little Disney experiment. I'm sure there will eventually be one that doesn't hit the mark, but as long as more often than not they are you know, really good movies, then I'll be happy. Agreed. But yeah, so let's get into The Magnificent Seven. I don't need to read the plot synopsis, but I will anyway. So, seven gunmen in the Old West gradually come together to help a poor village against savage thieves. 
And of course, this is a remake of the 1960 Western The Magnificent Seven, which starred the likes of Yul Brenner and Charles Bronson and pretty much... Have you seen that? No, and I was going to try to watch it to go along with this, but I just didn't have time with the work and all that, so... Yeah, I almost watched it, but uh, I just... I know, I know it has a great reputation, and I, w- I would be interested in, in checking it out for sure. But yeah, so that was the classic Western from the 60s, which was also a remake of the classic uh, Japanese samurai tale of Seven Samurai, which we reviewed on the podcast, I want to <laughs> say episode 100 or something like that. Great episode, great review if if you feel like checking it out. But yeah, I love that movie. It was, I think it's from 1954 or something, and it's like, it holds up remarkably well. It's super influential, I've heard. Oh, a yeah. lot of directors say they took a lot from that. I think it's Akira Kurosami is the director, and I think he's was a big inspiration to Actually, I, I heard that samurai movies were kind of a big influence on westerns in general like they kind of took a lot of the samurai stories from those movies and translated them to westerns because it kind of worked out well yeah it's weird because i know westerns are really like popular abroad i know they're real popular in japan i i think they're popular around the world but it just must translate well yeah it's just kind of i guess you can sort of copy and paste this it's like you can reskin it these kinds of stories to fit whichever environment you want just replace guns with swords and that kind of stuff which we're seeing in a certain hbo television series as well i don't want to spoil anything but um yeah so what is that 56 years later <laughs> they make a another remake of it starring today's Ah, a few of today's stars. Denzel. Well, I also want to say, yeah. very acceptable for a remake in the time frame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think they like, <laughs> they let it breathe a bit. Uh, <laughs> they gave it some Rather time. Three years later, we're going to remake that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure the next remake will be in less time than that. But Anton Fuqua directed it, starring Denzel Washington, Chris Pratt, Ethan Hawke, Vincent D'Onofrio few other familiar faces in the mix, but those are the big four of the seven. Denzel Washington plays the leading man whose name is Chisholm. Oh, wow. Weird name. Yeah, something like that. Chisholm. And, uh, yeah, so (laughs) what did you think of Magnificent Seven? Um, it wasn't bad. But it wasn't a great movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, I liked all the characters. Um, I kind of wish they went about it a little bit differently. Like, like when they're rounding them up. Like, I understood why that was in the movie and whatnot, but I, I almost wish they used their time with the characters a little bit differently. I'd almost would have rather seen more about... I'd rather have seen them, like, interacting with each other more and maybe kind of tell their backstory a little bit through that 
Yeah. Um, it's a little bit too long. <laughs> That's interesting. It's like a little over two hours, I believe. Yeah. I I don't think it would have been too long if the character building was a little bit better. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Because Seven Samurai is over three and a half hours long, and that thing it doesn't feel long at all. It's like the quickest four-hour movie you ever watch. <laughs> it's like paced so well. It's almost split in half, where the first half is the recruitment phase, or where the guy kind of stumbles into this situation where he can help out this village. And goes off to recruit a few other people, or six other people, as it were. And then the second half is, like, training them, training the villagers, and just getting ready in the actual defense of the of the town. And, yeah, I do agree with you. If This feels long, because... But at the same time, I wish they would have done kind of a similar thing. Maybe not three and a half hours, but really build up these characters... Give them a reason for wanting to help. Some motivation of some chemistry. Like, why? I didn't fully grasp. I mean, I did as far as plot-wise, but from a character level, I couldn't really understand why they were all getting together to go on a suicide mission, basically, to help this town, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I I personally, I like long movies if it's Warranted. worth the time. You know what I mean? And this movie could have worked in three hours, but, uh, I mean, maybe with not how they did it, but. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree, like, uh, Chris Pratt's character, for instance, like, why is he really, like, like, I liked his character, don't get me wrong. Yeah, he was one of my favorites. I understand, like, he gets the horse for him, but other than that, his, like, motivation is really... For the type of character he is, at least. Kind of like a hard-drinking... Whatever. I don't know. Yeah. So I guess... Yeah, the seven... It's Denzel Washington is your main man. He's the guy who stumbles... I guess, actually, the movie starts off with this town getting taken over by... I don't know if if he's, like, a a corrupt cop kind of thing. Or if he's just, like, a, a businessman or... A criminal or whatever. Uh, Peter Sarsgaard plays the main villain who comes into the town when they're praying at church. Comes in and says, you know, they're basically shaking him down for money, right? Every last drop he can get and says, you have until this time to get me this much money. Yada, yada, yada. Kills a couple of innocent people on the way out. Has the city freaking out. So then the wife of one of the people who gets murdered in cold blood who I thought was actually pretty good in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Um, she goes out trying to find some help, and she finds comes across Denzel Washington, who is a... He just seems like a badass. You know, he's the kind of guy you don't want to mess with, and convinces him to come along for this journey, and he starts recruiting the other people. I think Chris Pratt is the first person he gets, who's... He's kind of the... Comedic relief, smart ass, but still pretty good at what he does. I actually liked the scene when he uh, fends off the two uh, robbers as they're trying to be robbers. Yeah. They try to take his gun. He kind of shoots the guy's ear off and then kills him. Kind of the closest thing to an anti-hero. In the yeah. Group. Yeah. It's, 
<laughs> Chris Pratt of all people playing an anti-hero. <clears throat> and then you got Ethan Hawke, who his pro- his motivation probably is the closest to being like believable, just because it seemed like he's an old friend of Denzel Washington's character. Yeah. And then he's got this uh, Japanese or Korean guy who is like his sidekick. I never really understood why. Yeah, they don't. They don't even really make it. I assume he's Japanese because yeah. Seven Samurai yeah, and all. Yeah. But like, I would assume every time they tell the story of him, they like they say they found him in Shanghai, which is a story. They never really make it clear. But yeah, and he's good with a knife or or a sword. I actually really liked him as a character, though. Yeah, he was cool. I mean, a lot of these characters were. You know, interesting or kind of... Billy Rocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He And yeah, and Ethan Hawke's character is supposed to be like a sharpshooter sniper kind of guy, I think. And not a sniper. They don't have snipers in the Wild West. But he's he's a marksman. Yeah. And then you got Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> putting on a, a weird performance. I don't know what his character is, to be honest. Just a lunatic. Supposed to be a mountain man. Mountain man, wild man, yeah. And there's an Indian character who does he gets short shrift, and a, a Mexican right, who yeah. also I feel like gets short shrift. And Chris Pratt's character for some reason just hates him. He's racist against Mexicans. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And that's the seven. And they. That's also like uh the mountain man guy, scal- used to scalp Indians or whatever for a living, so he doesn't like. Yeah, there's some like Native American, whatever. Some, um, yeah, there's some struggle, strife in in between infighting in the group, but they've yeah, there's tension. It's not really real, though. No, no, it's just there for for the sake of being there, and they managed to suck it up and work together. But yeah, overall recruitment was way too quick and easy, and then the rest of the movie, like you said, felt so long and stretched out almost. Yeah. By like the hour and a half mark, when you know the big climax is coming, I sort of perk back up. That I didn't care, but I just felt like I always knew what was coming. In a way. Oh yeah, <laughs> remake of a remake, and it's uh, very clearly going in a certain direction, which you know, <laughs> yeah. Um. But how the hell is this rated PG-13? Huh. I mean, a lot of people getting shot point blank in the head. You know, a lot of death. A lot of murder. Yeah. And violent. There was no... It's one of those things that violence isn't as bad as sexuality. Yeah. I mean, there's not really any blood. Even that scene with Chris Pratt early on, he shoots guy point blank in the head, and there's a literal hole. You see the hole in the guy's head. Yeah, I mean, there's. It's not gory, but there is blood. Yeah, I just yeah, I just it's pretty crazy that this is PG thirteen. Certainly, I think this is just testimony that our rating system is absolutely broken. Yeah, hundred percent. We might as well not even have them in a way. Yeah, I mean. Just say what's in the movie, and it's up to the discretion. Yeah. <laughs> so I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I guess after they recruit all these people, 
they train the townsfolk to to help support, and it's very similar to Seven Samurai, where these are not fighters. You know, they don't know what they're doing. It's and they only have X amount of time, like a week or two, to to get them up to as good a shape as they can. And it's just not going well, but I don't know. That's one thing about this movie where they there's never any progress made training them, and then they just go <laughs> into the fight and they do halfway decent. Yeah, but exactly. I, I wish they would have done a little bit more with the townspeople. Yeah, I agree. And I lo- I'm notorious for loving uh, training montages, but yeah. this is like the weakest part of the movie for me. It just didn't go anywhere. It didn't go. It literally didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I mean, in a way, with the characters, it had some of the, the. I mean, the short time they did it, it had some of the nicer interactions between the, some of the seven guys. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't do anything else, so. Sort of pointless, but. Like uh, Chris Pratt, and Ethan Hawke. Yeah, they have a decent scene, I guess. I'm just saying, that's what I would have liked to see more, is more of them yeah. bickering yeah, or whatever. Ethan Hawke is known to be this marksman, but he's like hasn't shot a gun since they've been teamed up, and Chris Pratt's like, are you really what you say you are? Yeah. And then he just kind of proves it. I guess he had kind of a PTSD from something earlier. That, and I even would I know it's like cliche in these movies, but like, you know, like two characters won't like each other, but when it comes to battle, they end up being the guys that have each other's back. I would have even liked to see that. Yeah. But, I don't know. Yeah, and even when it comes, like, Peter Sarsgaard, I mean, he's pretty over the top with this, with this villain character. Yeah. It's, everything's like so black and white from good and evil it's like even though I feel like the seven should be kind of gray or in the middle just like doing it for the money doing it for the thrill you know morally ambiguous but it's pretty much these are the good guys and these are the black yeah they're they're, uh, being like hired guns these guys have quite the moral compass yeah it's almost like Suicide Squad when they keep saying well we're the bad guys but clearly they're not yeah (laughs) yeah and yeah it's very like this actually after just seeing rogue one this movie kind of reminds me of that in a way because it's like these x amount of people going on a impossible mission it's almost like a a suicide mission and in star wars is very black and white too you got you know jedi versus sith and obviously rogue one didn't have jedi or or Sith per se, but the Star Wars universe is very good and bad. That's cool. Uh, you're breaking up some. And another problem I had was this is called the Magnificent Seven. What exactly makes these seven guys magnificent or special in any way to be able to take on this huge, you know, mass of of bad guys. Yeah, and like like I said, I would have liked to see more backstory for all of them. Maybe not like 
like we were saying, Suicide Squad, where they kind of like flashback, but maybe then just sort of telling stories to each other. Or... Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost like if they wanted to lean in. I, and don't get me wrong, I'm just getting all of my negatives out right now. I do have positive things to say about it. But it's almost like they want it to be this fun, you know, lighthearted action movie. But at the same time, kind of do the same thing that the originals did. And I don't think you can kind of have that cake and eat it too, necessarily. Yeah, I gotta agree with you there. You know, I know Ethan Hawke, what makes him quote-unquote magnificent, and his and his sidekick, and, and some of them have kind of, like, abilities that they do. But, I don't know, it just... They do take on a lot of men. Yeah. Like, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so I guess to get to the good things about it, did you have anything in mind? Um, like I said, I liked all the characters individually. The sets were great. Like, it actually seemed like a little town. Yeah, that's my my number one thing that I liked about it was just the costumes, the production design, the way that it doesn't look like some westerns. It looks like a normal city almost, but it just yeah. in, in the west. But this actually was like sparse and had like individual buildings, and it, it looked like it a little more real, realistic than I was expecting it to. Yeah, for sure. Um. I feel kind of bad because I spent so much time on the negatives. I did overall enjoy the movie. Yeah. It wasn't bad by any means, but... It is lighthearted and fun. I think it, it is a good time. It's an easy watch. Like Even for uh, as for long sure. as it is, I feel like this is going to have a long life on FX or something like that. Give it a three-hour block if you count the commercials, and I I think it'll get good ratings. As I guess as far as movies goes, I don't know how that how that is handled exactly, but yeah, I I also liked the score. I thought the score was pretty good. Uh, got rousing at the right moments, and I did, I thought it really kept a good tone for the movie. Um, the acting wasn't bad. It wasn't. I don't think anyone's getting nominated. For anything no. over it, but Denzel's great as always as the leading guy. I believe him as being like this badass guy you don't want to mess with. He has a presence to him. Yeah, for sure. Of course. And someone was telling me how they were like, like done with Denzel. Like when I was talking about this movie with him, I was like kind of going in not expecting good things, but he was pretty good. He was, yeah, and. I don't know how anyone can say they're done with Denzel. Yeah, he might make a bad movie or two, but the guy is always on his A-game no matter what. I, I agree. <laughs> I've called him in the past the king of great actor, mediocre movie, and I think that continues here, unfortunately for him. But I am uh, optimistic about Fences, which he directed and stars in coming out in a couple weeks. Yeah, it Again, looks really good. Great reviews. And like I mentioned, the redheaded woman who played the wife of the character, um, and the character's name is Emma Cullen, played by Haley Bennett, who is a up-and-coming actress. I thought she did a, a great job. Um, yeah, she, I, 
was about to say, I, she definitely had the strongest performance, I think. She's the girl. She's the girl from Hardcore Henry. The uh, really, I thought she looked familiar the whole yeah. time. And she's in the Girl on the Train, which just came out this year. I know that movie didn't get great reviews, but I've heard her performance is good. So, yeah, I'm uh, very, you know, looking forward to seeing her do more. Like she had a small role here, but I think she got a lot of people's attention for it. Hopefully yeah, I she... think she probably has the best balanced character. Yeah. And really, she's the one you're rooting for, more so than them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, like you said, the townsfolk don't get the anything in this movie, basically. They're just like, it's her and a bunch of randos that can either be killed or survive at the end. <laughs> and it yeah. doesn't really matter either way, you know. But you're certainly hoping that she doesn't get killed. I forgot what I was going to say. I kind of lost my train of thought. That's all right. Uh, Yeah, I guess we could pretty much wrap it up. Not a whole lot more to say on the matter. But what would you give The Magnificent Seven? I'd give The Magnificent Seven a solid six and a half. Yeah, man. I'm right there with you. Like uh, just a straight up six and a half out of ten. Yeah, it's not quite a seven, but... It's a really easy watch, though. It's a one of the stronger six and a halves this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had to say, <laughs> it's about as six and a half as a six and a half could get. Agreed. But let's get to that marksman, the sharpshooter, the goateed man himself. Does Ethan Hawke ever not have that goatee? I don't know, but I think so. it must be in his contract. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't care what the rule is. I'll lose 30 pounds, shave my head, but he stays, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. But let's get to his top five. Um, this one was interesting. He's a he's an actor that I feel like he's sort of like a, not quite as severe as a Nicolas Cage or, or John Cusack, but he's a kind of a guy who... He's in some great movies and gives some great performances, and then he'll be in some pretty bad movies and just kind of be in it for a paycheck, it seems. I can't accuse him of that, you know, for sure. Yeah, what's, um, get that vibe. You've seen that document, like, the uh, Bastards of Baseball or whatever. Yeah. Whose father is that? Kurt Russell's. Yeah, like, what does he call his dad? Oh, he's a plumber, is what they call him. <laughs> yeah actor that just works a lot. Yeah, exactly. He's, Ethan Hawke definitely works. He's always in at least one or two movies every year. And um, I was surprised how much he'd been in and more surprised about how much I hadn't seen. Or not surprised. I don't know. He's just one of those guys you feel like sort of in everything, but he's not. Yeah. Yeah, and he plays a certain type of character incredibly well which I'll get into in my top five. And and then there's performances like in Magnificent Seven, which we just talked about, where it's kind of, he's doing the job, but he's not really pushing it to another level. He's just, you know, doing what's on paper, doing it adequately, and, and that's that. I feel like he does what needs to be done. Yeah, it he's pretty dependent. for him to be exceptional when he can, but he's not going to try to stretch it. Yeah. 
But let's get into it. I'll kick it off with my number five, Gattaca. This is a sci-fi movie. Uh, came out, I want to say, late 90s, early 2000s. This is a movie where it's in the future, and this is a world where your entire life is determined by your DNA. Just They take your DNA when you're born. It tells, tells them, you know, what you're good at, what you're bad at, all this stuff, and that's where you get your lot in life. And Ethan Hawke plays the main character, who is a guy, he's a kid, a young man who wants to become an astronaut or a space, you know, go into space and all this kind of stuff. But his DNA has limited him to just office worker at this building, and then he kind of, he tries to break protocol and go beyond his means, and it's a, a really good sci-fi, you know, premise and good execution. Jude Law's in it. He's really good. Uh, it's a lot of fun. If Have you seen it? No, I haven't. It sounds like uh, Futurama. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess maybe they ripped it off. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh, I think this was a film club review for that Casey recommended to me in the first year or two that we did this and was glad to have watched it. It's, uh, if you like sci-fi, it's definitely one to check out. Nice. I had heard of it before. I haven't seen it. Um, my number five is a little bit of a cheat, and it has a bit of an asterisk next to it. I love it. Let's go. I think um, it would be much higher on my list, but I have not seen the whole movie. All right. And the reason I haven't seen it is like almost out of respect. Like, I want to, like, really sit down and give it my full attention. And, you know, we just watch a lot of movies, so. Yeah. So, it's Boyhood. All right, there you go. I have probably seen about a quarter to a third of. It seems like it's incredible, but I know you and my brother really like it. I can't confirm or deny. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> I might hate but yeah, it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it, but it just, you know, when you're trying to think of a movie, it's always after the fact that you think of the good ones. <laughs> That's true. In the heat, you'll be watching all this mediocre crap, and you're like, oh, damn it. Why don't I just watch uh, something I know is going to be good? Yeah. But, yeah, I certainly understand where you're coming from. My number four is... <laughs> it's the... F- <laughs> there's a joke here to be made but I don't want to spoil my list it's before the devil knows you're dead this is a a heist movie uh, I think it's the last movie that Sidney Lumet, Lumet directed the guy who did 12 Angry Men and a bunch of other classic movies but this is Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman who would play brothers that rob or attempt to rob their parents jewelry store and kind of pass it off on someone else and it's just a really really good heist movie with the, these characters are great I love obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman's incredible and Ethan Hawke does a great job um, even Marissa so my list as well by the way. oh is it cool yeah Marissa Termay plays a great character it's it's really dark it's hard to believe that like an 80, 80 year old director did it like it's almost like Scorsese with the Wolf of Wall Street like you didn't think someone yeah yeah which I mean it's pretty bad to assume 
the worst, but it just it happens. But this movie is fantastic, and yeah, that's my number four. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, picked that before me because it's been a while since I've seen that movie, but I just remember loving it. Yeah, <laughs> not loving, but I really liked it. Yeah, it's really well done. Obviously, master at work here. I just, I, I just say it's one of my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performances, and. Yeah. Which is saying something because he's pretty much awesome and everything. Yeah, I could probably say that about 20 of his movies, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Um, my number four, I'm giving to The Magnificent Seven because it's. Six and a half. As much as we went over about the negatives and all that, it's so easy to watch, and I could see myself watching it again on a night that I'm bored. Yeah. Just don't have the energy to really put into something. Like I, like I said, I think it's going to be a killer TV movie, FX, whatever. Yeah, I think it, the movie's probably going to hold up for a while. Yeah, it was fun. like, And that's the ultimate thing when you're trying to just rewatch something easy. If a movie is fun, it'll get play. It'll be it even be, it might not be like, it won't be like a cult classic, but I could see the movie being appreciated maybe even a little bit more. Like yeah. years. Yeah, I can In see. In terms that. of just being a yeah, action western. Yeah, I agree. But my number three is kind of um, a bit of a cheat. It's the Before series, which consists of Before Midnight, or Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. This is the Richard Linklater-directed series where I think they are all nine years apart or something. It just follows the story of Ethan Hawke's character as he goes to, uh, I think it's France, or it's at least somewhere in Europe, and meets this French girl, and the first movie is about them just, you know, getting off a train together, walking around, kind of going on a date, and it's just all from that perspective, and it ends with, like, will they or won't they kind of thing, and then the second movie is seven or nine years later, something like that, where they kind of get back together and you're checking in on their relationship. And then the last one before midnight is them as a married couple. And just, it's a lot different than the first two, but probably my favorite of the bunch. They're all good. So officially number three is before midnight. But I I lumped them all together because before sunrise and before sunset would probably probably be four and five for me. And I was okay. gonna, I was going to make the joke that Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is the unofficial fourth movie in the franchise, <laughs> <laughs> but but yes, this series is certainly worth checking out if nobody has. We reviewed all three of them uh, at the same time with Casey about two years ago. I want to say when we reviewed Before Midnight, we also did a film club of the first two, and I think we did a good job on that. And uh, yeah, it's great. Even if you don't like romance movies, I think you you have a chance to like it. But if you know you are open to those kinds of movies, they're certainly some of the best out there. Huh. Cool. Number I'd heard, I always heard about the series, but I, I didn't really know anything about it. Yeah, I mean, Richard Linklater, he's, he's great at this kind of dialogue-heavy, character-driven... You know, relationship stuff, man. He's great at it. Uh, my number three was Before the Devil Made You Dead. Okay. Well, 
My number two has to be in your top two, I have to think. it Also, when he teamed up with Denzel Washington, it's and Antoine Fuqua, Fuqua directed it, the same guy that directed Magnificent Seven, it's Training Day. Nice. Yeah, it is one of my two remains. <laughs> yeah, this is a story of a man named um, Ethan Hawke, who is a rookie cop, or a rookie uh, detective, and and he goes on his first day on the job with Denzel Washington, who's a veteran. Turns out he's a dirty cop, and they get in all, all kinds of trouble. Snoop Dogg is involved with some crystal meth, and Eva, uh, Eva Mendez looks great in her time. Uh, just a really, really good, like, mainstream thriller. Like, about as good as you can get as far as, like, a blockbuster of this kind. Yeah, I gotta agree. This it's pretty dark and there's a lot of tension throughout this whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it just, it really keeps you on your toes pretty much the whole, like if you really didn't know what this movie was about, like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty big turn for, or maybe the worst, I guess, but like in a good way. Yeah. It's a great first time watch because that's how I watched it the first time. I didn't really know anything about it. It's kind of like a menacing movie. It's awesome. Yeah, because there's just a lot of movies that are like this. I mean, maybe they came after, but like Harsh Times or, you know, two movies about a cop and a criminal being buddies or two cops on the job and things go wrong. But none of them, I don't think, unless I'm missing one, uh, live up to the, to the task the training day did. Yeah, I totally agree. What's your number two? My number two is Lord of War. Honorable mention for me. It's, uh... I know it's not, like, the best movie out there, but it's just one of those movies that I've seen, like, a freaking hundred times, and I had, like, I guess, like, an emotional attachment to it. Yeah, Um, it is a good movie, for sure. Actually, of this whole list, maybe not my favorite character, Ethan Hawke. Plays. He's mostly pretty. I don't know, stereotypical good guy in a way. But his character actually ends up having a little bit more depth than. Like, there's a lot of times he could have busted the guy for kind of like fudged the rules a little bit and got him, but he never really does. And I don't know. I like the whole concept of a gun runner rather than like the typical drug dealer movie. It's based on a real person, too. It's like uh, War Dogs. <laughs> yeah. But this yeah. is like in the story. Absolutely good. Yeah. In the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde career of Nicolas Cage, this is one of the good ones. Yeah. He actually gives a really good performance. Yeah. His monitored personality fits. Yeah. Actually, he does a little bit. He's a little more expressive in this movie than most others. I kind of like how he has the monologue parts. Yeah. Sort of like a House of Cards in a way. Yeah, that's good. Uh, It has one of the best like opening sequences in movies, I think. You like the bullets being made? Yeah. Bullet production. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's up there with um, that Bill Murray movie. Uh, we reviewed it as a film club on here when Jonathan 
uh, came on. Oh, shit. Anyway, it was basically like Bill Murray mailing a letter to someone, and it just kind of follows the process of the letter. Of course I like that, right? But yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, that's pretty cool. And you guessed it. My number one is Boyhood. One of the best movies ever made. Richard Linklater at it again. With like just like the he messes with time, just like the before series where there's my god, I can't remember if they're seven or nine years apart, but they're several years apart and it kind of follows people over time. Well boyhood obviously does that tremendously well following the life of a young boy through his boyhood at from age six to eighteen. Um just it's a incredible movie. I don't think it's for absolutely everyone, but I think everyone has to give it a chance because, man, this it knocked me on my butt. My favorite movie of 2014 got robbed at the Oscars. Or wait, I can't remember for one now, but I want to say it got robbed from my <coughs> recollection. You would have been warned it should have got more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, Boyhood. I've talked about it a lot on here. and Yeah, that's the exact reason I haven't watched it because I feel like I could pass that movie off as being not for me really easily. Mm-hmm. I wanted to. Yeah. Or just, you know, not put the effort into watching it. But. I just yeah. feel like it's eminently relatable, even if it's not your experience exactly. I feel like it's just nostalgia in a weird way where it just makes you think about your own childhood growing up. And it's, it's really weird how it has this effect, at least on me, it did anyway. And. Yeah, man. It's uh I need to watch it again sometime. Yeah, maybe if uh we both watch it we'll do like an update reviews. Yeah. Just well, what else we watched or something. Yeah, could be a thing. I know you're number one. Do you? <laughs> you can't anyway, give it away. <laughs> trading day. Yeah. The um it's actually a sequel to Magnus. So. <laughs> yeah. Modern day. Modern day. It's their grandkids. It up. <laughs> the grandkids. It's just like fate. Don't they, they say that in the Magnificent Seven? Like their grandfathers were fought in the same battle. He's like, maybe my granddaddy killed your granddaddy. <laughs> yeah. Um. Cool. Yeah. That's a good pick since it was my number two. Uh. Any honorable mentions? Well, I had a couple. Like I said, I had Lord of War. I have Explorers, which is when Ethan Hawke's like a. It's he's like twelve years old. It's like a kids' adventure movie along the likes of the Goonies and that kind of thing, but actually better. It's good. It's not amazing, but it's a lot of fun as these kids uh, discover a spaceship and travel into space and gets weird, but it's it's really good. And my last honorable mention is another Richard Linklater movie called Tape, which is kind of like a uh, one-location play almost, where Ethan Hawke is a guy who's just in his hotel room. He's a young guy. He came out, I want to say, 2001, and he's kind of just upset about something, and then a, a woman shows up at some point, and then it's just the two of them working off each other, and I think a third person comes eventually, but... Just a good, like, dialogue-driven, you know, drama-type thing. 
that I uh, was glad I watched, and that's all I have to say about that. Alright. <laughs> what else did you watch this week? You know what? I just saw it in the movie. Um, I watched Adventureland. Alright, cool. Yeah, I like Which that movie. I had seen... Uh, I guess I just hadn't seen it all the way through. I'm sure I've seen the beginning of it a handful of times. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a really enjoyable movie. Jesse Eisenberg, Kristen Stewart have good chemistry together, and uh, Ryan Reynolds is pretty good in it as well. Yeah, it's uh, pretty funny. It's As like a coming-of-age story, I kind of like it, where it's not so like... Um, I don't know, like overly dramatic in a way. Yeah, it's kind of, understated. Yeah, it just kind of goes with the motions, and it's it sort of reminds me of when I moved to Ocean City, which is a resort town mm-hmm. for summer. It was, it's sort of like when you're younger and you get that first summer of like a little bit of freedom, and I don't know, I, it, something about it just like kind of clicked with me. It's I liked it. Almost more than I should have, in a way. Or it's not. I don't know. It's a good movie, but it's. I don't know. I don't think there's any. Shame I'm, I'm trying to put uh, put it in the word like, it, like say it's like a seven out of ten, which I'd probably give it a seven or a seven and a half. But for some reason, just for me personally, like I clicked with it enough that it's like an eight and a half for me personally. But, I've had those movies. There's no doubt about it. But objectively, uh, it's like a, a solid seven, seven, eight. Yeah, for me, one that just sticks into my mind from a couple of years ago is a Joe Swanberg movie, Happy Christmas. And it's just like this little indie about a, some guys who's married, sister comes home, or comes to live with him while she tries to get on her feet. And it's just a really small indie movie, but for whatever reason, it really resonated with me. And, I loved it more than probably anyone else. That's probably like my favorite part about like watching movies is finding those ones. Yeah. Just like some reason you're like, this movie is like, all right, but I love it for some reason. Yeah. I had another one of those just a couple of nights ago when I saw Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And I don't know. I was like the only person that liked it. You were the only person who liked it, really? No, everyone loves it. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, yeah, it's getting good. I don't think it's it's not as well reviewed as Force Awakens, but yeah, it's they certainly did it. hit it out of the park. And we'll we'll talk. I don't want to talk too much about it because we'll we'll dive deep into it in a few weeks. But yeah, yeah I saw that, and I saw um, this little sci-fi movie called Morgan. I don't know if you heard about it. Familiar in the summer? Yeah. Um. Had a really interesting premise about, you know, it's almost like Ex Machina type stuff where it's uh, artificial life and starts going, or Westworld, and starts going a little haywire. They got to figure out what to do, all this kind of stuff. And obviously, it loved Ex Machina, loved Westworld season one, and went into this with low expectations because I didn't really hear a bunch about it, but I was curious, looking forward to it, and man, put me to sleep. Really? Yeah, it's a real shame. Uh, bit of a miss, bit of a dud here. Very dull. I couldn't get invested in the characters. Um, there's a twist that 
you pretty much see coming a mile away. Um, but I mean, there's some. I don't. It's not necessarily bad. It's just like this has just been done so much better and recently. Yeah, and it's kind of the big new subgenre. Yeah, I mean, and I I like it because it's kind of something we have to face potentially at some point. Yeah, it's cool. I would like to see someone else get have a better twist to it. Yeah. Or not a better twist, but just it seems like they're all pretty much the same. In yeah, a way. tweak it, do something a little bit different. Yeah. Like, uh, actually, I, I really, it's actually one of the older examples, but the Animatrix has a really cool, it's sort of like the backstory of the Matrix. Uh-huh. How they got to being in the Matrix. It's about, it's essentially like the same thing, like AI goes haywire, but it's sort of the opposite, where AI gets like to be self-thinking and self-reproducing, and they actually try to live with humans. Like, it's almost more of like a civil rights kind of thing. Yeah. The humans just like, banish them away so many times that eventually it all comes to a head. But it's awesome. It's like told in seven vignettes or whatever it is. Right, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing Put together about Together by one of my favorite animators, Shinichiro Watanabe, who made uh, Cowboy Bebop. Nice. Pretty awesome, actually. I think I might like that better than most of the Matrix movies. Well, sir, the sequels, I'm sure. I haven't even seen them. Yeah, well, I mean, the first one's iconic, but I liked everything about that, like, I liked how the Animatrix is in, it's like seven different animators doing it. I like the story, and the, it's got style for days as well. Yeah. that's I've said this before, but the Matrix is like this weird standout in my history of watching movies where I absolutely loved the Matrix, was just obsessed with it, right? Never saw the Animatrix. Never saw any sequels. <laughs> like, I don't know why. And, of course, I've heard they're not very good, so I never really caught up with them. But I don't think they're so as weird. bad as some people make them out to be either, though. My expectation would be so low that I, could, I couldn't believe. I, there's no way that they could be as bad as I'm expecting. <clears throat> but uh, what else did you watch? Um... Why is my line blanking? The Accountant? Yes. Sorry. I was trying to think uh, <laughs> what the movie was called. I was like, Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck. Uh, he's kind of a, a nerdy math guy, but then a super badass spy. Yeah, so the whole story is Ben Affleck is... I guess he's autistic is what he literally is, but... Yeah, I think so. So it's like, it starts off with him being young and they're trying to, they go to this place that's like a house that, I guess they're like, at least for the time, a little more progressive in how they teach people with needs. It's more of like a, accept what they have and a loving, caring environment and all that good stuff. And he comes from essentially a military family. His dad's like fairly high ranked in, I guess, like the army. And he doesn't get to stay there because his dad basically says that the world is cruel and tough 
and someone in his position shouldn't like be baby because of like be taken advantage of or whatever. Mm-hmm. His dad's like super tough, but he definitely does love his kids. I guess. Long story short, his parents get divorced and all, and they end up him and his brother move around the world, and his dad essentially just trains them in all these different places. Um, and this is all told throughout the movie as, like, uh, cut scenes every so often. They cut back to him and his brother, like... Flashbacks. Getting the crap beat out of him for, like, 12 hours a day, like, learning martial arts. So, what he eventually becomes, he grows up, he is a math genius. He can just look at huge amounts of numbers and stuff in a short period of time. And since he has this, like... I don't know the proper way to say it, but I'll, like, disorder or whatever. He's, like, extremely obsessed with finishing things. So it's sort of like his driving force in everything that he does. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, um... Are you familiar with, like, the Hitman games? Yeah, or, I've played uh, one of them. But I know, yeah, I certainly know what they are. It's sort of set up the same way where it's, like... He's sort of living a different life, like, I guess this is front for money, but, like, he'll get these calls from, like, this British lady that'll hook him up with, like, different jobs. All why this is happening, the government is sort of, like, trying to figure out who he is. So there's an investigator going, that's, that whole part's a little bit forgettable. Mm-hmm. And basically, he, he makes his real money by cooking the books for criminals and drug organizations, mafia, thing. any big group in the last like 10 years they mentioned in the movie. <laughs> um, so, I don't know, it's, there's kind of a lot going on, but... It's really not that much of a thinking movie. There's He goes to investigate this big tech firm for cooking the books, and it's like the CEO's best friend was the guy who was the accountant. And I, I guess I'm going to do spoilers, so if you don't want to hear about what this movie's about, then skip ahead like two minutes. Yeah, go for it. Basically, it ends up being this whole convoluted thing where it wasn't really the people you think that were cooking the books. It was actually the CEO himself because they were going to go public eventually or whatever and you want the stock thing to go as high as you can. But while all this is happening, there's this other firm and they keep showing this guy. It's, um, I forget what the actor's name is, but he's the dude from The Walking Dead and He's in Wolf of Wall Street as the, uh, it's like the big buff, like, drug dealer guy. Right, yeah. I can't think of his name either. Um, so basically what they do is, they're sort of like a private mercenaries, but they sort of, uh, only go after people that are, like, fucking the average man. Right. You know what I mean? Like, in terms of profits and all that stuff. And you keep seeing him, and 
basically, you get to see some of Ben Affleck's like crazy, good at killing people stuff. He's just he's a cold blooded killer. It comes down to, but he he's a good guy, I guess. But the big twist ends up being that he goes to try to kill that CEO because he figures out that Ben Affleck knows about everything. So they're trying to kill Ben Affleck. But then he comes to his house to kill all of them. And it turns out the guy, the head of this mercenary group, is his brother. Okay. And it's actually done all right. I don't know. There's a lot of things about this movie that I like, but in the end it ends up being... Yeah. Yeah, I've heard a lot of bad things about it. I think a solid six and a half. I could see people liking this movie more, though. Um, there's cool action scenes. It has a lot going for it, but it just ends up being kind of bland. I feel like this was another one that kind of had a little bit of false advertisement from the trailer. Yeah, they kind of make it more like a crime, epic yeah. drama type thing, and it's really not that. Yeah. <laughs> But there is a lot of good things about it. It, It's refreshing, at the very least. It's a little bit different. Um, There's a couple cool twists. Like, uh, I didn't really go too much into the investigators, but there's a whole backstory about they have a connection, actually. Ben Affleck and the main investigator. And there's a cool twist uh, who the girl who calls, the British girl is... And, yeah, I don't know. I would recommend watching it if you're, whatever, don't have anything else to do. HBO. Yeah, but I I also wouldn't go out of my way. It's not Ben Affleck's best movies, but it's not definitely not one of his worst. (laughs) Yeah, he's had some pretty bad movies in his. You realize how uh, convoluted that story was going to get. Like, there are a lot of. It's the little details that are the best about that movie. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things, like, if you're into it. That's a good thing. If you're not, that can really sink yeah. that ship pretty fast. But also, I watched a few more of these Christmas movies that I've been watching a little bit each week. And next up on the list was Home Alone. Oh. Classic, of course. Kevin McAllister. <laughs> totally feasible that is. His parents would forget that he wasn't on the plane with them and and yeah. leave him home alone for a week or whatever. But uh, it holds up. I mean, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. If I'm thinking critically, it's not as good as uh, I remember it. But still, nostalgia kicking in. I had a lot of fun with it. I watch it every year around this time, at least the past few. And I... Of course, it's pretty insane, the things he does to these burglars, when a simple call to the police would suffice, but uh, it's still fun to watch. You you filthy animal, keep the change. You, yeah. <laughs> uh, all kinds of good Definitely stuff. Definitely iconic. Yeah. Marv and uh, that's all I remember is Marv, but Joe Pesci is great, and so is the other guy. You know it, you love it. It's Home Alone. It's still Home Alone. Another one, classic, A Christmas Story. Of course. Uh, 
Ralphie. Be honest, I don't bother watching this movie till Christmas Day. Yeah, the marathon. I just put it on to see if Mackenzie would really uh, take interest in it, and she did here and there, but might be a little outdated for her at this young age. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, I remember the first. Like I always knew the Christmas story, but I wasn't as interested in it until I was a little bit older. Yeah. And I, to be honest, I hadn't watched it in a while because I was so freaking sick of it and burnt out from, like, when I was in high school and we yeah. grandma would have it on literally all day over and over and over. Pop loved it. and I still liked the movie, but I just needed a break from it. But it had been long enough, watched it, and still liked it a lot. Yeah. And the last movie. Christmas movie I checked out again was Elf. Which is Will Ferrell's vehicle? Uh, this one I didn't. I actually used to not like it much at all, but it's grown on me over the years. It's certainly kid friendly, so I've watched it three or four straight years now, and it's it's grown on me. I actually think it's kind of kind of charming, good little movie. It's got its moments. Yeah. Um. I've seen it a few times. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But I do remember liking it more with time. Yeah. I know it's our cousin Jesse's like favorite movie of all time, which that's pretty crazy. She's a Christmas baby. <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Usually every year I watch Christmas Vacation. And I kind of like uh, Christmas specials and shows and stuff, too. Uh, as of like the last five or six years, I always watch the Trailer Park Boys Christmas special. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. I know uh, Sense8 has a Christmas special coming out on the 23rd, which is pretty weird. But I'm in. I love. I like that show a lot, the first season. Which, I gotta say, personally, Christmas Vacation is the best Christmas movie for me. It's pretty good. It's pretty damn good. I love forget, We did that list, what was it, last year? Yeah, pretty sure. I can't remember what I had, but I'm sure Christmas Vacation was at least an honorable mention. Uh, and I watched some TV. I watched some more. Uh, I This is kind of funny. Uh, Fuller House, obviously, first season. I think it actually came out this year as well, two seasons in the same calendar year. But um, Fuller House season two came out December 9th, and I was so happy that it was coming out just because... My daughter, Mackenzie, who's five years old, is just completely obsessed with Fuller House. She had watched the first season at least 25 times straight through, just Jesus. over and over again. It's just her thing. And, and I'm like, yes, a new season, new episodes. I don't have to keep seeing slash hearing bits and pieces of the same 10, 12 episodes over and over and over and over again. But... Yeah, I've already watched season two three or four times all the way through. It came out a week and a half ago. Wow. <laughs> um, I, do, I think the second, I mean, the first time we all watched it together. So I saw every episode straight through. And since then, it's more like just background. And when she's laying in bed, she'll watch an episode or two. And I have to say the second season is, I think it's better than the first season, which was not hard to accomplish. Yeah, I was gonna say because <laughs> first season's pretty terrible. This is still bad. I mean, it's, it is what it is. 
I thought it was just a little bit funnier. I mean, it's still corny as ever, but some of the stuff worked more for me than. Too bad the they don't have the old show on Netflix. Yeah, I know they should get on that, but I, I think it was they—they're not leaning on the nostalgia quite as much. Oh, there's still plenty of references and callbacks, but like in the first season, I feel like they try to have one of the old guys in at least one every other episode or something like that and relied on the old actors too much like jesse danny joey those guys but in this one it seems like they're more just finding their footing as far as keeping the story of the the new kids going you know and gina came back in this season do you remember her stephanie's friend uh. <laughs> no it's all right they sang the I Saw the Sign. I don't know. It's been a long time. No bells ringing. Well, they... I've probably seen just about every episode. But... Yeah. Well, they brought that back. And it's it's cringeworthy, but I don't know. <laughs> it's interesting. But also, the 33rd season of Survivor came to a close a couple weeks ago. Jesus. It's a... Millennials vs. Gen X. And uh, it was a really good season. Um, it started a little slow. First few episodes kind of took a bit to get going. But once the tribe swapped and then merged, it just got better as it went along. Plenty of blind sides and hidden immunity idol plays. And and there, there was a really... The winner was this guy, Adam. He was a super fan of the show. He came on the show knowing his mom had stage four lung cancer she told him you have to go on the show i don't care this is your dream go live it and he ends up winning the whole show very emotional plenty of times where i'm tearing up to a reality show which is not something that happens all the time but then in the finale he's telling the story about what happened after the final tribal council and he said he two days afterwards he got on the quickest flight back to his home, gets off the plane, sees his mom, you know, tears, tells her he loves her, they're telling each other they love her, and he tried to tell her he thinks he won, and an hour after he got back and saw her, she died. Wow. Like, she just held on just to see him one last time after this crazy journey, and uh, yeah, pretty crazy story that Timur's too good to be true like if it was in a scripted movie you wouldn't believe it it was possible yeah that's Uh, awesome yeah it was really good and next season premieres march 8th the 34th season which is another all-star season i'm really excited about it's got some of my favorite players in the past five years or so on there so strong as ever wow it's the cockroach of television i think survivor it's gonna (laughs) be the last thing standing uh, and the last thing I watched was a new Netflix show that just came out this past weekend called The OA. Have you have you seen I've anything heard about of it. it? Yeah, it's kind of like an adult version of Stranger Things. Okay. Uh, but mixed with some Sense Eight in there as well. Uh, it's like this girl starts off with like an iPhone footage of her jumping off a bridge. Britt Marling, she plays the lead character. And 
and uh, she's it turns out she was a blind girl who went missing seven years ago and now she just showed up again and she's not blind anymore and basically the whole show it's like she gets together with this group of five high school kids and is telling her the story of what happened how she got kidnapped and what happened and how she got these kind of weird specialish abilities it's not sure if it's real or not and and ah man i don't know it's it, i actually liked it a lot but it, it is certainly not for everyone um it's, it's like half the show is her recounting the story and half is what's going on in the modern day it's super weird it's messy as could be not much of it makes sense that much at all but at the same time, I was like oddly captivated and just couldn't stop watching it one episode after the other. And um, yeah, it's it's a late contender for the my top ten list of TV for the year. Probably not going to crack the top five, but we'll see what happens there. Um, I'm trying to see who it's for. You might like it. Um, it's like I want to say like how. Give it an episode or two, and if it doesn't catch it, it's probably not going to. But, but uh, it's worth a shot. I think the characters are strong. In the end, that's what kind of got me through and made me appreciate it. Uh, the last episode is pretty crazy. Some people could see it as like jumping the shark, but for me, it kind of worked. Um, don't want to give anything away, obviously, but. Yeah, I don't know. Interesting show. Came out of nowhere. Didn't even know about it until like two days before I started watching it and binged it in two I days. I hadn't heard anything about it. I saw it on Netflix and then I saw a full review on like IGN or something like that. I didn't read it. But. Yeah. But these creators have worked together before. Britt Marling, the main character, she co-wrote the show with... God, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. It's like... Balbak Mandelage, Zalbak Mandelage, something like that. Um, they worked together on a couple movies. One was called The East, which we reviewed on here, about a group of like echo terrorist type of people. I didn't like that movie so much, but they also did this movie. Um, shit, what was it called? Something of Silence, or where she played a cult leader, and these people who joined the cult with but put a GoPro on their hat or something to try to prove that it's all BS and then it get, shit gets crazy. That was a pretty good movie. But I I like this group, <laughs> their, their little thing they got going on with these indie sci-fi type things. And um, I hope it gets a season two because it, where it ends off, it's like really interesting. Uh, could, I could see it as being the series finale, one and done. It could kind of work, but I feel like I need more closure. I need more answers to what the mysteries they brought up. Oh, well, that's promising. I mean, that fact that you want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. I think uh, it's only eight episodes, so it's not like it's a huge commitment. Uh, some episodes are an hour. There's a couple that are just a half an hour or 40 minutes, so it's not, you know, it's not going to take you a long time to just give it a shot, but Right, check that out. Yeah. All right, let's get to prejudgment day where we talk about the trailers of the movies coming out. 
in the future, and in this case, 2017, because we'll be there in a couple weeks. First up, we have, we just missed this one on the last podcast. I think it came out like the night we did it or the next day. It's the new Fast and Furious movie, a.k.a. Fate of the Furious. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember making a comment to you. Yeah, like, damn, we just missed it. But, yeah, this is the story of the family that just keeps on giving. And it looks like in this one, Vin Diesel has had his mind wiped and he starts acting weird and going against the team, the family. And um, haven't we seen this before? <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen all of these. That sounds like a completely original idea. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen them all, but I feel like this is a huge plot point where Michelle Rodriguez's character gets brainwashed and acts against them until they kind of flip it. But I guess he's, you know, he's the main guy. Now they're doing it to him, and uh, he'll be unstoppable. What did you think of this trailer? It looks like fucking hot trash. Yeah, it looks like a huge steam pile of shit. That's what it looks awful, and... I've found ways to kind of get enjoyment out of the last, or at least the sixth one, about how ridiculous it is. But this just looks like all the worst things that I don't like about the series, like, turned up to 11. Yeah, I I respect the fact that people like these movies. Like, like the first few are not bad. Maybe, like, the first three or four, I, I don't know. I get them all kind of mixed up, but... What bothers me about this series is how, like, many excuses and how apologetic people are about this series. Because Series 7 was horrible. Yeah. Horrendous. Like, seriously, I stand by it. It's one of the worst movies I've seen. <laughs> it's laughably bad. It's it's cheesy. It's the Fuller House of movies. It's It's like... I, yeah, and I don't understand. I mean, I can get that people just have fun with it, whatever. But I feel like the same people that like these movies will not like a movie like Interstellar or something like that. Yeah. You know, and obviously I can I get it. There are, like, dumb movies that I can just enjoy to a certain level. But, yeah, it's puzzling to me as well. It's just, I mean, they just haven't done anything remotely new and I understand you don't want to like completely change it but yeah. it would almost be better with a reboot or something like that at this point except they're making money hand over fist so of course they'll never yeah and I sort of don't blame the actors for doing it I mean it's gotta be a boatload of money at this point that they're making for yeah halfway showing up but, I mean, it's not even really about cars. I mean, it is and it isn't. It's just, you really, the whole series, it's so illogical that they, like, stay in their cars and fight. And, like, I liked it at first, but it's so, I don't know. It's like a video game almost, but not in a good way. Yeah. It'd probably be better as a video game series. Might be fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll give it a 4 out of 10, prejudging it generously. Give it a 2. <laughs> Do it. Man, uh, that's pretty bad. I could it, see it, though. I could see it. 
Alright, next up we have gotta be one of our most anticipated movies of 2017, which we'll get to that in a few weeks as that'll be our list for the Rogue One episode. Our most anticipated movies of 2017, but this one is Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Ooh, yeah. Speaking of Interstellar, uh, this is his war, World War II movie. Everyone's got to do it. All the good directors eventually have to have one. This stars Tom Hardy, uh, Cillian Murphy, the guy from Bridge of Spies. Uh, shit, I can't remember his name right now off the top of my head. Yeah. But what did you think of this one? This looks awesome. Yeah, it looks pretty good. And, and a person that likes history and stuff, it's cool that this story is being told. It's uh, kind of like the greatest rescues ever and also one of the biggest military blunders. The Nazis end. Yeah. Had like 400,000 people trapped. I guess the whole point is they stopped their advance because they basically had the biggest, baddest air force in the world. No one can really, so they were going to like harass them, I guess, in the surrender or something. But I have no idea about the story. <laughs> they, uh, they literally took every ship from across the channel in England, like every ship, like fishing boats, and started sailing them across to get all their soldiers off. Wow. It's a pretty crazy story. Um, I was going to say, we're kind of overdue for a good World War II movie. Yeah. Well, we haven't it's, watched Hacksaw Ridge. I yet. forgot Hacksaw Ridge, though. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll give that one a shot. But uh, yeah. I'm sold. I mean, obviously, Nolan. love Nolan, love the actors involved. Um, looked like it's going to have great performances. It looked visually just stunning. Like... The cin- and have, cinematography uh, and the airplanes flying, man, I got, yeah, it was great. It seems like it's going to be kind of cerebral, too, because I think that's what it's a lot about, is the fact that they're waiting. Yeah. You know, the tension of that. Yeah, that's got to be some pretty tough shit, obviously. I couldn't last an hour in war, so I don't couldn't even imagine. But yeah, man, I'm super looking forward to this. I will give this trailer a prejudgment of eight and a half. Yeah, I'll give it the same thing. Nice. Next up, we got another big one. Another, well, this one is the third in a trilogy. It's War for the Planet of the Apes. Third movie following Rise of the Planet of the Apes and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Two movies that I enjoyed quite a bit. I don't know about you. You can't remember if I've seen the second one or not. Oh, man. Definitely a great little action movie. Uh, I like this... the uh, the first one, though. Sure. Yeah. I think the second one's better than the first one, but pretty close. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes looks pretty great as well, at least based off this first trailer. Uh, got Caesar. The, his his battle, his, uh, his team's growing. The apes are growing in power. And it looks like Woody Harrelson is going to be the major villain slash hero. What, who are we rooting for here? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, shit's going to get crazy, it looks like. Yeah, it looks cool. Yeah, I mean, who do you root for here? Obviously, the protagonist is Caesar. It's from, I think, the ape's perspective in these movies, which I think is a really cool twist. Um, 
and the humans kind of come across as like your typical movie bad guys but at the same time if you think about it like we got to be rooting for the humans to win right i yeah i guess so um i don't know is what my brother was telling me is this this series supposed to be like a prequel to the main planet of the apes yeah from what i understand so i think we know what's going to happen but yeah okay <laughs> I assume. But, uh, interesting know. nonetheless. It looks awesome. It's an interesting attack. Rogue One seems to be on the brain this episode, but, you know, that's a prequel leading directly to a classic, you know, movie from the 70s. And the, they managed to do three movies leading up to a, a little. I like this. Movie. I'd almost rather this than just rebooting everything. Yeah. Yeah, at least, yeah, I, I do like it too. And uh, really, it came out of nowhere. I was not expecting the first one, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, to be anywhere near as good as it was. Yeah. I just thought, yeah, especially because, you know, the Planet of the Apes remake with Mark Wahlberg was just so bad. And I don't, I don't know. I just thought the franchise was dead. The only good movie up to that point was the original. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, certainly looking forward to it. I'll give it a. Um, Eight out of ten. Yeah, give it a. Yeah, eight's cool. <laughs> All right, I'm always an optimist on these things, and some like in I feel like 2016 was kind of a bad year for movies, at least yeah. on the top. Uh, but it also coming off of some pretty strong ones. Yeah, like, true. pretty strong years. And I don't mean like I'm. I haven't seen a lot of the what are considered the best movies of the year so I shouldn't speak too soon but just from what I've seen there's been plenty of good stuff but not a lot of great stuff yeah it's, it's mediocre yeah but next trailer we got we got a sneak peek at Blade Runner 2049 the sequel to Blade Runner another classic movie, sci-fi movie from back in the day but Harrison Ford returns as uh, help me out here. <laughs> What's I don't his... remember what his name is. <laughs> <laughs> As the the main character from the original. Uh, and Ryan Gosling joins the fray. This is shot by cinematographer Roger Deakins, directed by Denny Villeneuve, who's just on a roll lately with Sicario, Arrival, Enemy, Prisoners. Uh, one of my favorite directors of the current day. Uh, I'm. I didn't even like Blade Runner, the original. I don't know about you. I like. I actually had never watched the whole thing until fairly recently. I or knew of it from Reputation. Yeah, I watched it a few years ago, and you know, heard amazing things. I was super excited to watch it, and I just it was kind of like a dud for me. I, I always hear that there's like a specific version that you're supposed to watch. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I don't think I saw it. It's kind of hard because apparently Ridley Scott like really butted heads with the studio for a long time about releasing like his cut. Yeah, is he a replicant? Is he not a replicant? But um, yeah, I don't know which version I saw. But with the talent involved in this sequel, I'm in 100. I don't care that I didn't really like the uh, the first one, and I'll probably give it another chance before I see uh, this movie. But man, it just looks beautiful. Uh, Roger yeah. Dickens is known for his beautiful cinematography, and it's, it seems like there's no exception here. 
Yeah, it's, it definitely has vibes of the first one. Like, I think Blade Runner is more important, not necessarily for its story, but just how everything else can work so well that maybe the story doesn't have to be so incredible. Or I don't know. I like the story personally. It's kind of like a uh, what do you call it? Like a, there's detective film noir. Yeah. And I can only imagine for the time of it coming out was just probably pretty mind-blowing for some people and probably yeah. a little ahead of its time for yeah. others. Yeah, and that's that's a tough thing with classic sci-fi. Like, sometimes it doesn't hold up particularly well. Uh, and it's but hard, I really hard like that, uh, that used future with all the, like, neon. Yeah. It's, it's beautifully shot. Yeah. So... What do you get? I'm pumped week? for this. This looks awesome. Ryan Gosling's awesome. I love yeah. Harrison Ford. Yep, yep, yep. What are you gonna give it? I'm gonna give it an eight and a half. Wow. Okay. Optimist. <sighs> yeah, I'll probably I'll give it a seven, but I'm hoping to be, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going in with lowered expectations, and that will only make me love it even more. Always undercutting. Oh <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, last one on the docket. We got Despicable Me three, another <laughs> third in a trilogy, a little bit lesser renowned, but but one nonetheless. This is the the kids animated films that uh, star Gru as a supervillain who becomes apparent to these kids and these minions, and and uh, this time he's going up against another supervillain who's like uh, from straight out of the eighties or you know, disco and dancing, the mustache, voiced by Trey Parker from South Park, and, and, um, (laughs) I don't know, this looks like more of the same, but I kind of like the villain here, or, you know, the the antagonist, yeah, I would say, seemed like it had some life to it, some pep in the step, Uh, I I don't know if I'd go out of my way to see this, but it looks like it's funny, I mean, yeah, I think I, I've only seen the first one. Yeah, I've seen the first two. I don't love these movies, but they're not terrible. Um, there's they're, no, very, they're passable. They're watchable. Oh, for sure, yeah. There's no doubt in my mind I'll be watching this. Because, <laughs> so I better just get prepared now, get in a good mindset. I'm going to go with a 6 out of 10. Yeah, I'd give it a 6.5. I liked it, I think, a little bit more. Right. I thought it was funny. I liked the uh, 80s character a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was the best part, I thought. For sure. Yeah, so that'll do it for this episode of The Red Box You can always follow us on Twitter at The Red Box Report. Email the podcast, any questions, concerns, suggestions, feedback, anything you want at theredboxreport at yahoo.com. I'm personally on Twitter at The Oriole Report. I'm on Twitter at RedboxReport. Like us on Facebook, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on iTunes, and we'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you.